What a great morning it's been. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 19 through 30. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to share that testimony and to share of how the gospel came to your life and how one life can transform so many others because of the great gospel that we get to celebrate. As I was preparing the sermon, um, I've been moved to tears many times simply because the sermon today we are holding up examples of servants in the gospel who wholly throw their lives in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many of your faces came to mind. As Paul commends Timothy and Epaphroditus, there are so many people here that can be commended as well. I'm crying. I haven't even read the text yet. My bad. Um, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get into this. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the text, pray, and then we're going to jump into it. All right? Verse, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. (laughs) But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would let everything that comes from our mouth be helpful and edifying and building up to this church. I pray that you would help me to preach with liberty and joy and clarity and passion. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move among us and that at the end of this, we would all see Christ as more glorious. Help us now, Lord. May your strength be made perfect in my weakness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in our text, Paul is using very specific language to honor and commend Timothy and Epaphroditus as faithful, trustworthy gospel men. He communicates his own trust and admiration for the faithful work of ministry on display in these men's lives, and he commends the church to recognize and honor and celebrate the great lengths that these men go for the sake of the gospel. 
Timothy and Epaphroditus are held up as in-house examples of what Paul is calling to the, the Philippian church to in verses 1 through 11. You remember that wonderful Christ hymn, to have this mind among yourselves, to count others more significant than yourselves. They're saying, okay, here's, Paul's saying, here's what I need you guys to do. These are the commands, and here are two people that exemplify what that looks like. What does it look like to have this mind among yourselves? You look at Timothy and you look at Epaphroditus, walking, living examples. The way for effective ministry and service to the church is to have an others-focused mission, to be servant-minded, and to have that mission be rooted in and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when the gospel is central in our life together, here's what happens. Affections abound. Service happens, honoring occurs, and risks are taken for the mission of the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus are not concerned with their own name being made great. They are concerned with the name of Christ going forward and the name of Christ being exalted and celebrated. This text matters today because the world is really into making a name for yourself. Legacy is the conversation that we all hear about. It's a very different legacy than Uncle Carmen. The world is asking, how will you be remembered? What are you known for? And a lot of it is just financial gain, how far you can climb up the corporate ladder, different things like that, what you're known for. The worldly legacy falls short of what Paul would commend as a successful legacy. Paul commends Timothy and Epaphroditus for their meekness and their sacrifice, their humility and their love. A godly legacy is one that points to the legacy of Jesus Christ. If your life shimmers even the faintest glow of the light of Christ, it is worthy of honor. If your life highlights the service of others, it is a life to be emulated. What this text does is it reorients, it recalibrates our life goals to be that that points to the beauty of the gospel going forward. And we see this type of life through the portraits of these two servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus. If the gospel is not central, we will make anything and everything else central. We are oftentimes quick to have our own earthly lives and the concerns of this world jump up to the forefront of our minds, making us say, oh, Jesus, I'll be happy in you when fill in the blank. If we aren't gospel above all else minded, we too will seek our own interests rather than those of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, our church would have a fragile unity, weaker fellowship, and low affections for one another. What would happen is we would be oblivious to the incredible riches of God's kindness, of giving us at this church so many wonderful examples of Christ's likeness. Oftentimes, our hopes and our concerns are flipped inward to our own interests and our own desires. We can spend ourselves for ourselves rather than spending ourselves in service to Christ and to others. In a sense, we count ourselves more significant than others. And what that does is it flips the command in verse 4. And so my hope is that we would have eyes to see 
and celebrate Christ-like qualities in people, that our affections and our unity would grow deeper and deeper for one another week by week and day by day, that our all-consuming focus, our zeal, our passion would be for Christ and his gospel, and that the Spirit would empower every single one of us in this room to live as soldiers and workers and servants of the gospel with the goal of pleasing the Father. When we serve together with gospel mission as the top priority, love and unity abound, affections are raised, Christ is honored, risks are taken, and transformation happens. When the gospel changes us and transforms us, we do not look the same. We look to the interests of others. We put our lives on the line because we understand that nothing else could be more important than the name of Christ going forth. The life of a servant for Christ reflects the character of Christ, it cherishes the gospel of Christ, and it loves the people of Christ. We're going to look under this in two, under two headings, which highlight each portrait of gospel service. Uh, it's going to be Timothy and then Epaphroditus, but the headings will be gospel service in humility. That's going to be heading number one. And then heading number two will be gospel service with sacrifice. Heading number one, gospel service in humility, the life of Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul uses trusting and and hope in this section often. And hope is not an uncertainty of like, man, I kind of hope that this is going to happen. No, it's a hope that is in the Lord. Paul understands that under the direction and guidance and allowance of the Lord, these things are going to come to pass. There is a confidence here in the Lord that Christ loves to build up his church. And for him to say, I'm going to come to you soon, that takes a lot of confidence. Because if we remember the context here, Paul is sitting up in prison. It's not a good situation. Paul is likely awaiting a trial to come up. And that's why he has Timothy stay, because he needs some extra help as things are going on. And through it all, his confidence and his trust is in the Lord. Why? Because Paul knows that Christ is going to be happy and be in the work of making the gospel known in the Philippian church and to strengthen their unity. And he knows God is going to do whatever it takes to make the gospel go forth here. So let's look at Paul's commendation of Timothy. It's beautiful. I wanted to read the Christ hymn in, in verses two, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, but we don't have time for that. But it's a great section, and it just exalts Christ. And when we, look at, <laughs> when we look at the beauty of Christ and how he's described in that section, we can see how these men exemplify these characteristics. Timothy exhibits Christ's humility, this mind among yourselves. That's the phrasing that Paul actually uses when he says, I have no one like him. He's saying, I have no one like-minded in this way who has this same mind. And then he contrasts Timothy's humility with the unloving teachers. Remember those who are preaching the gospel out of rivalry and envy and selfish ambition. Timothy and Epaphroditus function as a giant illustration. Paul moves from the commands in the first 11 verses to illustration to show how these people live their lives. 
And so the question we can ask ourselves is, when we look at the profiles of Timothy and Epaphroditus, can we be commended in a similar way? Also, do we commend people like Paul does? Do we honor people like this? What values do we value? What do we see in a person that draws us to that person? Who do we look up to? And do we value what Paul values? And more importantly, do we value what Jesus Christ, our Savior, values? Timothy shares Paul's mind and his heart. He says no one else was as close with Paul. No one else was equal to Timothy in Paul's eyes. And something to note here is that Paul is not building people into himself. He could be like, look, man, I'm out here in prison. Things are not good. I'm sorry I can't come. You're going to get Timothy and Epaphroditus, but don't worry, I'll be back soon. No, he's not building them into himself. He is saying, look, remember, you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy is the real deal. He is not a preacher of envy or rivalry or selfish ambition. You can trust him. You know his proven worth. Paul is building the church into Timothy. And his commendation of Timothy shows their closeness with one another. And this only happens through life-on-life gospel ministry together. This type of dependence and closeness only happens when Christ's gospel allows humility and unity to be present in relationships. (laughs) I love Paul's anticipation of a good report. There's a few things happening here. He says, by the way, Timothy is going to let me know how things are going in the church. Because remember, Paul's giving them these commands because the church is a wreck regarding unity. There's disunity running rampant. And Paul is giving the commands how we need to stop this disunity from happening. And he's saying, by the way, Timothy is going to let me know how that's going. (laughs) And he also says in verse 24, by the way, I plan on coming as well. He says, these commands I'm giving know that I'm coming to the church. It reminds me, uh, when I was growing up, there'd be often times when my mom would ask me to take the frozen chicken out of the freezer. You see, y'all already know, when I would come home from school. And I would come home from school, ready for the day, and start to relax and start doing other kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, you hear the door van slam. And you're just like, oh, Lord, (laughs) please help me. But I knew that mom was coming all along, right? It's not a surprise. The impending arrival of my mother's commands should have demanded accountability to follow her imperatives. I know she's coming. I should have done what she asked me to do so I don't, you know, get the consequences (laughs) for messing up all our dinner plans. So Paul here, he backs up authority and power of uh, the power and authority of his letter with the promise of a personal visit. Y'all better act right. (laughs) The way to live out the commands from the Christ hymn in verses 1 through 11 is to be men and women who have an unwavering trust in the Lord, are faithful to the gospel over time, and genuinely love others. In other words, it looks like Timothy's life. Timothy had this genuine concern for others. There was a yearning, a deep affection that he had for the people of the church. And also both Paul and Timothy demonstrate this. Yes, Paul is making sure they're going to follow the commands with his visit. But he genuinely does want to be cheered and gladdened and to have courage from how the church is doing. Paul desires change and good for them. He is for them. He wants to hear of their unity and what they're implementing in his commands in the letter. When we aren't concerned for others, though, here's what happens. Because unity will grow 
when the gospel is right in front of our faces and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we remember what we deserve and how far we are from what we deserve because of the life of Christ. When that is in front of us, it changes how we live, how we live. But when we take God and his gospel out of the equation in life, two things simultaneously happen. One, it removes gratitude, right? Because when the gospel is close to our minds and our hearts, there's never a moment where we can't say, I am doing so much better than I deserve. When we forget the gospel, we lose gratitude. And when we forget the gospel, we lose hope. Because in the gospel, we can always say, <laughs> this is actually the closest to hell I'm ever going to get. There is a hope each and every day for us. We are one day closer to heaven. Or one day there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any tears. We will see Jesus face to face. A concern and a love for the cross of Christ leads us to a concern and a love for the people of Christ. Our culture, our culture is very much individualized. It is self-concerned and it is self-serving. It's the whole idea of you do you and the blending of self-care that accidentally morphs into self-worship sets us up to fall outside of the standards that Paul has set forth in this letter. The character and concern of Timothy and Epaphroditus is the gospel going forth and serving people through gospel work. It is a let me spend myself for the unity of the church attitude and to spend myself as a servant for Christ and his glory. Joseph, I tried not to have a wrestling illustration. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> Penn State wrestling, they just won their 10th national title in the past 12 years. It's pretty much a legacy. It's a dynasty. The team is incredible. Each and every year, they come out with top recruits, and they smash everybody in the national tournament. Max Dean, who is a six-year senior, he just graduated. He's an older dude. At the end, he was a returning, yeah, six-year. COVID made things crazy. We'll talk about it later. Find me afterwards. Um, <laughs> at the end of his tournament run, Max Dean, last year, not this past season that just happened, but the year before, was a national champion. On top of the nation, crushed everybody, did an incredible job. This year, he was barely an All-American. He took seventh place. And at the end, when they're interviewing him, he's got a big old black eye. He's bleeding out of his ears. He's exhausted. He's so tired. And they were trying to get him to express his disappointment in his seventh place finish. But all he could do was celebrate the team achieving their goal. All he could do was come in and he named every single assistant coach. He named the head coach. He named the freshmen who weren't even in the starting lineup who helped them reach their goal. Because that's how it happens. It happens behind the scenes in the practice room and these kind of things. All he, and he's a Christian as well. So the whole thing was just a beautiful display of the gospel. He's like, I care about my values. He's like, I don't need wrestling to be defined by myself. He's like, I just want the team to do what they're supposed to do. It was, it's a beautiful moment. Look it up. It's like two minutes long. Here's the point. Sorry, Joseph. When you seek the interest of Jesus Christ and not your own, you seek the interest of others. So what do we do? Well, we, I love that we can just do this. We can pray for this, right? You can seek and pray to grow in your gospel affections, both for the people in this church and for the gospel itself. If you find yourself unaffected by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, pray that God would change that. The Spirit really likes answering that type of prayer. 
Pray that the Lord would melt our hearts into deeper love and affection for our salvation. That we wouldn't go cold or over-familiar with the story of our salvation. And that this deeper love and affection for our salvation would result in deeper and familial affection for one another. When we do this, life looks like thinking of yourself less and focusing on how to uplift and to serve others. It's, it's, this, it's, it's being so others-focused that what happens to others begins to affect you. In a word, it's counting others more significant than yourselves. This type of living and thinking and gospel partnership, it kills the self-preservation that can lead to so much sin. The gospel sets us free from ourselves so that we are no longer focused on ourselves but focused on others. This freedom is a life-giving, joy-filled, Christ-exalting freedom. So God would require us to live humble, sacrificial lives in service to him to care for others in a way that emulates the heart of Christ, that our own goals, that these goals that we have in our mind would slide down our own priority list so that we can joyfully spend ourselves for others, that we would consider the interests of Jesus Christ and look to fulfill and to satisfy those above all else. There's also a relational trust in gospel service in which humility makes that happen. These men gave of their lives in service for each other with complete trust, with complete abandon, side by side for the sake of the gospel. Timothy had a proven worth. And some of you in this room are in the stage of getting and earning that proven worth that Timothy exhibited. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're serving the church with the more experienced saints Serving as a son with a father or as a daughter with a mother. Looking to the faithful saints that have been here from the beginning. And some of y'all are in that motherly or fatherly role. Bringing up and training and working with the next generation of Covenant Fellowship Church. I mean, if you just looked at our choir, it was on display right there. Helping them serve the church. Keeping the main thing the main thing commending and encouraging the up-and-coming leadership of the church to be faithful servants in the gospel. I think of father-son ministry. I think of my friend Alan and my friend Bill. I've been here for five years now. And those guys took me under their wing immediately. meeting with me monthly at purebred deli, eating some sandwiches, <laughs> and being encouraged in the Lord. They wanted to make sure that I was being faithful, that I was serving the church with joy, that the hardships that come with pastoral ministry wouldn't discourage me. So grateful for them. And they would help me in so many circumstances. If I would air grievances or talk about certain things, they would speak of people and honor them. Remembering the grace that is needed in all of our lives. And how much Christ has transformed us. 
true gospel ministry. And God will require that type of honoring amongst other people to be a regular part of our lives. So before you speak of someone, remember Christ's activity in their life and highlight that. This has to be how we relate to each other in person. It also has to be the content of our conversations online. Uh Uh-oh. And it also needs to be present in our conversations in private. How we speak of other Christians is important. Take a note of your conversations. Are we typically pointing out grace or are we finding out more and more critique? If the opinion of others is formed by what you speak of people, will they be celebrating God's grace and seeing the evidence of Christ in them or will they simply see their shortcomings? God would have us respond by seeking to actively honor Christ's likeness when we see it in others and make efforts to promote and elevate others above ourselves. When we have this humility, here's another beautiful thing, when humility runs rampant in our relationships and we pursue that, reconciling conflicts with one another is made very simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Because we can always remember in light of all the sins that we've been forgiven for in Jesus Christ, how can we not forgive others when we are sinned against? And when this type of humility is there, this counting others as more significant, this same-mindedness that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus shared, how can we not leap to ask for forgiveness when we've wronged someone who was made in the image of God? What this humility does is it quickens the process. Our affections are so deep for one another that the hurt that we cause others actually ends up hurting us because we are aware that the same spirit dwells in both of us, that we are connected as the body of Christ and we want the best for them. One of the quick practical applications to think this through is in our calendars, right? I don't think anyone is sitting here in this room just saying, I just have too much time on my hands. We've, we've got to think, how much does our busyness and scheduling prevent us from developing this type of family love and affection for one another? Do we fill our calendars while having gospel service and fellowship and unity as a priority? Some quick adjustments can be made there to move forward in that area. Let me move on to heading number two. Gospel service with sacrifice. Gospel service with sacrifice. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Let me just read that real quick again. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. A couple quick things here. Honor given to Epaphroditus is really honor given to Christ because the reason he's being honored is because he reflects the characteristics of Christ. 
Christ being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Faith, looking death in the eyes and going forward in it because the gospel mission needs to go forth. This is what Epaphroditus did. And then, by the way, just a quick note on that last verse there. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's not like a quick jab Paul is taking at the church. What he's saying is the church simply did not have the ability to be there with, in prison with Paul in their entirety. So Epaphroditus went on their behalf. There's literally a service that was lacking that they could not do. And Epaphroditus fulfilled. And because of that, he is worthy of honor. So let's look at Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus. They are specific encouragements here to garner trust and to cultivate honoring that is due for Epaphroditus. He exhibits the sacrifice and obedience of Christ's mindset. He's been with Paul and he's served with Paul. This is not any kind of second-rate prize. It's not like, oh man, like, I want Timothy to stay with me for a little bit, so sorry, I know you wanted me there, but instead you're just getting Epaphroditus. No, this was a proven soldier in the work of Christ. This is a man who loved and cared for the church. And he is a living and breathing replica of Jesus. He, you can see Christ's characteristics in Epaphroditus. Dennis E. Johnson says it like this. He says, God has given us breathing replicas of Jesus. Men and women whose heart instincts are growing by grace so we can sense and see the heart of Christ in the way that they treat others, react to adversity, and invest their energies. And so Paul is commending Epaphroditus to them, strengthening their unity, deepening their love for one another. And we need to do this for each other as well. I've said it in other contexts, but the typical Christian is incredibly hard on themselves. We need help seeing the grace of Christ in ourselves. When someone makes me aware of Christ's work in my life, not only do they receive grace by humbly encouraging me, but I receive grace by seeing a new facet of Christ's work in my life. And Christ is glorified by getting credit for working in his creation. It is literally a win, 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 win situation. So what we've got to do is we've got to practice the thankfulness that Paul commands. Don't allow acts of service in gospel mission to go unthanked. We ought to honor those people serving in children's ministry, the greeting team, the ushers, the people who show up each and every week to participate in the gathered church, the translation team in the back who is scrambling because I speak too fast. <laughs> this pauses for you, Jorge. This room is filled with servants in the gospel who are worthy of honor. So many people in this room are making gospel-fueled sacrifices for the service of the church and the glory of Christ's name. When we do this and live like this, life looks a little bit brighter. When the gospel is constantly in your crosshairs, in your vision, in your scope, hope is constantly in your crosshairs because the gospel is a message of hope for the lost and the sinner. Listen, if you are here and you find yourself a little hopeless, you don't understand what this whole Christianity is. I'm, I've been saying gospel like 437 times this morning so far, and you're like, what actually is the gospel? Here it is. In my own strength, I cannot be good enough. God is holy and he is just, and he must punish sin and wickedness. I am full of sin and I'm full of wickedness in my own strength. On my own merit, if I put forth my words, Jesus, have I been good enough to go to heaven? He would say no. 
But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so it's not my works I'm bringing. It's the finished work of Christ. And so when I trust in what Jesus has done, that perfect life of obedience that he lived, when I am looked upon for what I'm bringing to the table, it's the work of Christ that is set forth. I am in Christ. Christ has done it for me. The wrath that I deserved was poured out on the innocent Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what's happening as he was hanging there on the cross, dangling. He was absorbing the wrath that I deserve. And now, guess what? Every single day, I wake up, no condemnation. It's never coming. It's not coming 20 years from now. It's not coming 30 years from now. In eternity, it's not coming 2,472 years from now. That banner of no condemnation is permanent. And so that's the hope that we have in the gospel. What happens then is your interpretation of life's events must go through this hope-filled, salvific gospel filter, and everything changes. For Epaphroditus, it meant being near to death brought concern, not because you may die, but because you may not to go back and encourage your sweet church in the gospel. It's the reality of hardship and sorrow and sacrifice. Yes, it is a joyful service, gospel uh, service with sacrifice, but it is difficult. It's called sacrifice. You're giving something up. Look at the ways that Paul commends and describes Epaphroditus, their significant soldier, Someone willing to put their life on the line for the cause of the mission. A worker, a laborer, puts, a laborer who puts his hand to the plow and works sunrise to sunset. A brother, someone who has heightened responsibility to care for the members of his family. Epaphroditus was a man tested. He suffered. He almost died for them. There's an other's focus of service in the midst of suffering. Epaphroditus was yearning for the church. He was concerned for the church. I love this as well. Paul is always rejoicing, yes, but the sorrow is also real. He says that the death of Epaphroditus would have been sorrow upon sorrow. And all the joy expressed in this letter, Paul doesn't shy away from the reality that his joy is occurring in the midst of sorrow. It is sorrow upon sorrow. And there are many in this room living through wave after wave of grief and sorrow. And yet you are here, active, serving, being the Timothy or the Epaphroditus, the Covenant Fellowship right now, and we see your faith, and we see your concern for others, and we see you singing of God's faithfulness week in and week out. All my days are held within your hand. Your perfect love and favor have no end. We rest within the wisdom of your plan. It doesn't always feel like a happy phrase for the life circumstances you're going through. But they rest in the wisdom of God's plan. So we honor those of you who are here in the midst of your suffering. Understand that God is glorified in the lives that you live for him, and it is a joy and an honor to be fellow workers and servants of the gospel together. 
Paul never calls us to act as if suffering and sorrow don't exist. He calls us to joy, yes, but it is a joy in the Lord. It is a realization that Christ has rescued us and how that forever alters our eternity. Yet over the suffering and the anxiety and the sorrows, his eagerness and anticipation is for the joy of others. Because yes, sacrifice is hard and it is difficult, but there is also a joy in the sacrifice. It is wanting the gospel mission to go forth so desperately that you count everything else as lost. It was read earlier today to count all of your gain as rubbish. That you looked at the obedience of Christ's death and you want to follow in his footsteps, forsaking self preservation and self-glorification, risking it all for the work of Christ. There's a joy in receiving fellow servants that we're working together with of Christ in the Lord with joy. What does life look like when we do this? Well, we remember the smile of Christ. How do we do this? We remember the smile of Christ and the joy and love and passionate affection that he has and carries for each of his beloved people. You think of the joy of the return of the prodigal son where the father runs to him. You think of Jesus leaving the 99 to grab the one sheep that is going astray. And then you think of him enduring the cross for the joy, the joy that was set before him, that gospel mission. We remember that and we receive people out of an understanding and application of that type of love. The hope here is that, t- <laughs> I love this. The hope here is that Timothy and Epaphroditus were men worthy of imitation and are servants of Christ that truly cared about gospel mission. And we can function that way too because they were simply ordinary men filled with the extraordinary Holy Spirit. And they spent their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church filled with this extraordinary Holy Spirit can actually seek the interests of Jesus Christ. We can actually serve one another in the gospel, linking arms together as brothers and sisters, fellow workers and soldiers. Putting all our efforts into fulfilling the work that Christ has called us to. We honor God when we live like the servants described in this text. Timothy and Epaphroditus lived lives that pleased the Lord. These are men who exhibited the fruits of the Spirit and who held fast to the word of life. When we are all in for Jesus, not just on Sunday mornings, but each and every day of the week, when we don't compartmentalize our spirituality as fits the occasion, when we day in and day out live our lives with a holy and sacred zeal that shows itself in humble, sacrificial, and joyful service for the gospel of Jesus Christ above all other things. This type of living, this gratitude, this humility, this sacrificial service, it all comes when Christ is in the proper place in our hearts, when he is king, and he rules our hearts, what we do is we lay down our lives so that he can be exalted. And this puts God in his proper place, the God who is exalted and glorified and magnified and hallowed. We want to see his name go forth because he is worthy. What this is, is it's valuing and treasuring Christ so much that you will do anything to please him, to honor him, and to glorify him. You spend your life and are spent for the gospel. You look through your suffering and your hardship and you see the Christ. You remember your sweet inheritance and you remember the hope that is available to you and you trust him. Yet again. Even though you may be experiencing sorrow upon sorrow, you hope in the Lord. And you know that somewhere in the midst of all the fog and the confusion and fear that you're experiencing, you know that he is up to something for your good. 
And so you toil and you strive with all his energy that he powerfully works in you. God wants us to respond by looking through these men, yes, celebrating what they exemplify in the gospel, and for us to imitate their example by looking to their example, looking to Jesus Christ himself, following him and cherishing him. Here's the thing, church, because the gospel, and band, you can come out now, because the gospel that compelled these men to live this way is the same gospel that we celebrate together each and every week. It is the gospel made possible by the Son of God humbling himself to become the God-man, Jesus Christ, through the incarnation. It is the same gospel where, some of y'all better act like you're saved. Come on. It is the same gospel where the Son of Man gave his life as a ransom for many, absorbing every ounce of wrath of God that we deserve through his death on a cross. And then was resurrected three days later. We just screamed about it on Easter Sunday. It is the gospel where the Spirit is transforming us. From one degree of glory to another. It is the gospel that at the center of it all is our God who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The king of the ages. Immortal. Invisible. The only God to whom honor and glory are due forever and ever. One whose name is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When living in light of these realities, it changes everything, doesn't it? Gospel unity happens, and we joyfully serve one another in the gospel to the glory of Christ our Savior. We offer our lives to him in joyful sacrifice, counting all other things as loss, because we understand that Jesus is worth it. And we seek to glorify him above everything else. Amen.